Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful day. We actually took the long way or the country route past the corn stalks and soybean fields to come here just to enjoy the beautiful weather the Lord has given us. We love the changing of the seasons. Amen. We come, I hope as you walk around and you see the beautiful leaves changing and uh, leaves falling and so it kind of makes the world look a different. I, I hope you can see the beauty of the Lord in it all. Amen. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 46, and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, and though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease under the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in sunder and he burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let us pray and ask God to be with us today and to speak to our hearts. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for giving us uh, an invitation to come into your house, to be with your people, to fellowship one with another, but more importantly than all of that, to be with you. Where you said where two or three are gathered in your name, you are with us in a special way in our midst. Lord, as you are here, I pray that you would delight in our praise and worship, that you would uh, delight in us, your children that you would help us even to see ourselves in your eyes so that we could have joy, the joy of knowing your love for us. Help us today. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. 
When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, what will thou, when, <clears throat> will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us from your word, that you would um, change us by your word, that you would lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. There was a man who lived in the rugged grasslands west of Jerusalem. Uh, of course, where we, that's where we are in Jerusalem in the story of Acts, waiting on the disciples as they were told to do by Christ. He was not terribly far from where David himself would lead his sheep one day and lead the nation of Israel. But this man's name was not David, and he was not one of the disciples. He lived many years ago before them, and his name was Manoah. Everybody say Manoah. Manoah was from the tribe of Dan, and he and his wife, uh, who is nameless in the scriptures, in the account from Judges chapter 13 through 16, they must have been some God-fearing people, and they must have been faithful to be chosen as they were for the special visitation and honor and blessing that was about to come to them from God. Manoah's wife was barren and could not give her husband children and because of this there was a shame uh, and a, a uh, I don't know, uh, a hope deferred maybe that lingered in their life and hovered around them perhaps even a hopelessness you know when people got married in that time uh, their greatest hope was that they would be able to produce children so they could carry on the family name it says nothing here in this passage of this nameless barren woman's prayers but there must have been many of them this would be assumed by any reader of such a story in the time it was written. From Judges chapter 13, it tells the story this way. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman. And they said unto her, behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore I pray thee, drink not wine nor strong drink, nor eat anything unclean, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man came and told me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. It was very terrible. And I asked him, not whence he was, neither told me what his name was. 
I thought it was interesting in this story, and it's not really the point of my message today, but I guess there can be more than one, right? If you notice, this angel did not come to the husband. It came to the wife. And after she tells her husband, and her husband is a little disconcerted. And so he prays, Lord, can you send back this angel that told my wife these things? I, I want to know what he has to say. And so God, in a sense, answers the prayer. But he doesn't send the woman, he doesn't send, the angel doesn't come and visit the man. You know what he does? He comes and visits the woman again. And then the woman brings her husband to the angel and I love what happens next because it really, really, I believe there's imagery here in what we're about to be learning about in Acts chapter 1. So Manoah took a kid. He, he, he had begged the angel, could you stay around for a little bit? Can I cook for you? And, and in this, there was this offering. It, there was a, it was worship, really, is what it was. And we won't go into all of this because he's... he's this is Christ. This is the incarnate Christ. And so worship would be appropriate. But he questions Manoah, what are you doing? You know, you should offer this to the Lord. But then he accepts it because, of course, it was the Lord. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and he offered it upon the rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. I don't know what, Titus, I don't know what was going on here. But they ate and they offered it and the angel did wondrously and they watched. I don't know what in the world he was doing. But, but I, bet it, I bet we would have been like, wow. For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on and they fell on their faces to the ground. Now, you may already know that what you're hearing are the beginnings of the story of Samson. You might be into the story right now here in the Old Testament, and you might have forgotten that we're studying in the New Testament in the book of Acts. I was telling my wife, and she, this is what was happening. I was telling her, she goes, wait a minute, what does this have to do with the book of Acts, Mark? You're in Judges. I thought we were studying in Acts. And I'm like, yeah, just stay with me for just a little bit. So God gives Manoah and his wife a son and they do as they were told, making him a Nazarite from the womb. Now, once again, I don't want to get sidetracked again, but talk about an appropriate scripture when considering how you should view an unborn child, right? He's going to be a Nazarite from the womb, Christina. His vow is going to start by what his mother eats. Kind of makes me think God cares about babies in here, right? Samson wasn't going to be somebody. He was somebody at conception. And it's very clear here in this passage. Samson's mother was charged particularly because of how this would affect Samson in the womb. Manoah and his wife were faithful to God's instructions as they raised their little Nazarite, not cutting his hair. And I'm sure he was unique, you know, all the Israelites did not go around with their kids with big giant bushy hair, you know. And 
he was indeed used mightily of God with 10 incredible feats of strength. I love, I read this all again just because God quickened one of his stories to my mind. You heard it read just now from uh, Judges chapter 14 as our Old Testament reading, right? The very first feat of strength he did was when he gets to the point when he wants to get married, right? And he comes and meets a lion, right? It said in Judges chapter 14, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnath and they came to the vineyards of Timnath and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. This is the part I don't want you to miss, the next few words. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed on him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. You heard also in the New Testament or the Old Testament reading uh, how he killed 30 Philistines. But you may have missed the fact that when he did kill the 30 Philistines who uh, had, you know, really, really pressed his wife hard and convinced her to tell the riddle's answer so that they would not lose a bunch of money. The Bible says in uh, Judges 14, 19, that the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he killed 30 Philistines and took their clothes. In chapter 15, he does something that's so amazing, kids. Have you guys heard the story of Samson recently? God gives him supernatural power to do something that's so amazing and so incredible. I don't even know if, you know, the superheroes could do anything like this. He catches 300 foxes. Now, how many of you have ever tried to catch a fox? Have you guys ever tried to catch a fox? I actually have. You can get dogs that are made for the very purpose. They're fox chasing hounds. And you, these dogs will run and they, will, they can run longer than the fox can run. But they'll run and they'll run and they'll run. And let me just tell you, all night, all night, all night. You can't, and they, they're just trying to catch one. Samson doesn't have a dog. Samson, I don't know what he's got, but he catches 300 foxes, Joy. And then he sets their tails on fire and then they go into the fields and burn the Philistines' fields. Everybody say, wow. I mean, seriously, guys, can any of you do that? I don't think so. But let's say you think maybe he's clever enough. Maybe he set traps. Maybe he knows what the foxes like to eat and, and, and maybe there's more foxes then. And, you know, maybe, maybe this is something a man could actually do. Maybe they could. I don't know. But then you come to the time where after he kills a bunch of Philistines, the Israelites tie him up, 3,000 men. Now, you would think Samson wouldn't be afraid of these 3,000. He would be afraid of these 3,000. He said, all right, I'm going to let you guys tie me up. Like, like they have to ask, 3,000 men want to know, can we, can we tie you up and... and and he's got to give them permission. Do you think any 3,000 men need to ask one man if they are, you know. No, they knew he could whoop them all. 
And so he says, all right, if you guys promise not to kill me while you're tying me up, I'll let you tie me up. And as he, as they are taking him to go to the Philistines, what does he do? It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and the, and the uh, ropes became flax in his hand and they became flax on his leg. And he looks over and he finds a a jawbone of a dead donkey and he picks it up and he starts fighting the Philistines and he kills a thousand of them. Everybody say, he was a bad dude. But now you might go, well, I don't know. Now there was a guy, King Richard the Lionhearted, who did kill thousands of men in one day in a battle and the sword actually fused with his hand. A, it's a real true historical story. There are stories of great feats of uh, incredible physical prowess. But when you get to the sixth thing that he does, we go beyond King Richard. We go beyond the greatest hunter. We go beyond the greatest fighter. And he does something so amazing. But you don't really know how amazing this is until you look into it. But in as you read about this in his story, you'll see in um, chapter 15 of Judges that he's staying in Gaza. And as he's staying in the city of Gaza, the people of Gaza say, hey, we got Samson staying here and Samson's doing something wrong again. He's with some Philistine woman. Yeah, he's going to stay all night with this woman. And what we're going to do is we're going to surround him and we're going to kill him. But we're going to let him stay all night in town one night. Well, he gets up at midnight. And the Bible says he goes to the gates of Gaza. And you have to understand these gates are enormous. They know how big these gates were. They're two stories tall. They're, they weigh more than my van weighs, Okay. They're huge. And the Bible says he gets underneath them, he picks them up, and he lifts them off their hinges on his shoulders. And it says he goes from Gaza to Hebron. Now, see, you're not really from there, so you might not be that impressed. But from Gaza to Hebron is not only 37 miles. Everybody say, that's a long way. He carried something that weighs as much as my van, 37 miles, but not just 37 miles, 37 miles, Christina, uphill, 2,000 feet up, 37 miles, 2,000 feet up. Everybody say, that's amazing. Now, you might be able to catch a fox, and you might be able to fight a bunch of dudes, but there's no human being on earth, not Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, and all of them, you know, any three of those guys could not do that. But he did it by himself. How did he do that? If you notice, several of these passages said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then he did these great exploits. And so the connection is here in the book of Acts. Without the power of the Spirit, Samson, in his own words, would be like other men. But with it. No man could stand before him. He wasn't afraid of the Philistines. He would fight them a thousand at a time. He wasn't afraid of them when they gathered together even at the end of his life and he pushed on the posts and he killed in his death 3,000 taking an entire building down 
with supernatural, superhuman strength. So here we are. This is Gustav Dory's depiction of Samson carrying the gates of Gaza. Power from on high. The second stone, or the stones that we talked about, we talked about the foundation stones. Go ahead and put that up. We know this is what the theme is for the book of Acts that we're working on. Foundation stone number one was Jesus' command to go into all the world, preaching, teaching, baptizing, discipling the nations. And so go was the first stone. We had to have a stone that says go right on it. That'd be, a good, that'd be a good stone to have around here. Big old stone. Go. Right? The second stone, though, was don't go. Unless you go to Jerusalem first and wait. So it was go and do this, but don't go do this until you go to Jerusalem and wait. I want you to, I want to put up the Roman Empire for me there. You see this right here? Jerusalem here, or someone told me they don't want me to stand in front of it because they might have it on the video screen. Jerusalem is over here, okay? It's right on the edge of the Roman Empire. All the stuff you see here surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, Italy, you know, Gaul right here is modern-day France, Spain, northern Africa here, the Middle East, right? All of this was considered, this was the Roman Empire. Even, even Britain up here, the Roman Empire extended all the way up there. You've heard of cities like Bath. Why are they called that? Because of the Roman baths that were here, you know? And so, so this was Rome. And oftentimes when the Bible would say go into all of the world. The reference is that this was the world. This was the known world. Of course, there's people living in other parts of the world, but this is Rome. At this time, this is right around the time of the book of Acts, uh, during this time that's happening. And so God picks this little teeny out-of-the-way place. Now, the only significance Jerusalem and Israel actually had in the Roman Empire is that it was a bridge, really, from Africa, okay, of trade, up to this part of the world. So where'd you have to go through? You have to go through here. And if you've been in this part of the world, you know it's not like you can kind of go around. If you go in this area right here, you will die in the desert, okay? There, this is the way. You gotta go right here. This little strip of land here, this is Israel. This is a very, very important uh, bridge between Africa and, uh, and Europe and Asia, okay? And so this is where they were. They were called to go first, but they were going to start in Jerusalem. And we're going to go, I'm going to show you a little bit of geography stuff later. In fact, you want to show, let's go to the next one real quick. <clears throat> this is a different map. Am I in the way? Of the, I don't know. I don't think you can see it anyway on the screen. So we've got Bethlehem, Jerusalem. Now Judea would be considered the whole area, okay? And all of this stuff here is where the book of Acts is going to be taking place. There's geography involved in all this, okay? 
So when you hear about, in the book of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch, Ethiopia is really Ethiopia. You know, sometimes they'll say something like Asia, you know, and Asia is really not what we call Asia. Uh, here, Asia Minor, right? Asia Minor, that's not, that's really Turkey, okay? And Nathaniel, is that Pakistan and that right there too, right? Right in this area here, Turkey, Pakistan. No, Turkey is right there for a fact. But anyway, what I'm saying is it's not called Asia, okay? But when we get into the book of Acts and we get into the geography, are you laughing at me over here? So, this is definitely 100% Turkey, right? And in Turkey, you're going to have the seven churches and these churches are going to come up. They're not all going to come up in the book of Acts, but you guys have heard of the seven churches. The, these churches are not churches that are in Jerusalem and around this area. They're in, over here in among the Gentiles. You're going to get Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, all that's going to be way over here. So the Apostle Paul is going to be going by boat to here, and he's going to be going by boat to here and here and here. He's going to even end up over here in Italy, okay, and in Rome. And so what we're going to find out as we go through this, that what God was calling them to do was amazing, and it was difficult. They were going to be in this little out-of-the-way place. This is also... This area over here is where you're going to find Philippi, right down like right about right there. Corinth, Galatia, a great deal of the scriptures of the New Testament and these locations that are talked about are not right here in Israel, but they are the spreading of from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And when Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wrote this, he laid it out uh, so that you can watch this happen. Okay, so he commanded them to go to Jerusalem. So you're going to see where we are in the book of Acts in Acts chapter one is where in Jerusalem. But next we're going to move out to the broader, bigger area of Judea. And then beyond that, Samaria, which is a little bit up here. Now, this whole section that the book of Acts is in is going to be in an area that's about 2000 miles wide. It's kind of like the width of the United States of America. It's a big area. It's not small. Okay. Oh, this is bothering you. I'm sorry, baby. All right. But I thought it would be good to, to see this. The Roman Empire was blanketed it over, and when they would go over places, okay, okay, I'll try to hold still. When they would come and take over Israel, all right, they allowed the, is, the people who lived there to also have a government as well. You know, you gotta, they, they know what's going on. They know where everybody lives. They know where all the walls are. They, they know the, the, so they would appoint them. And so be, besides the Roman government, there was another government, the local government that was there. So that's why if you, if you know the stories of Jesus, there's a lot of confusing stuff going on, right? The Caiaphas, the high priest, the high priest of what? Of the Jewish people, Right? And then there's Herod, and then there's Pilate, and then there's Felix, and there's all these people, right? Who are these people? Well, some of these people are government officials of the Roman Empire. Other of them are, are government officials over the Jewish government within the government. Does that make sense? And so we're going to be having that and experiencing that within the Roman Empire. There'll be times when Paul asserts his Roman citizenship. There'll be times when they're dealing with the religious leaders of the day. And he, he's, he's having, Paul has the high priest uh, give him letters to have people put in prison, 
okay? So there's a government within the government, and we're going to be dealing with the government of the Jews, and we're going to be dealing with the government of the Romans. I just wanted you guys to see that. What else did I put up there for a slide? We're not going to be doing slides, but I just, if not, I'm not going to ever show you these. I made these. What's the next one, Gid? All right, yeah, this, this is Israel. It's zoomed into this really, really up close thing, okay? Most everything that's going to happen in the life of Christ is from this area where Jesus lived, right on the shores of Galilee here, okay? That's where he lived. And of course, down here is Jerusalem. The Jordan River brings the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea down here. And so it's the, the country's divided with this long line of water, really, of the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River right in between. This geography will become important in the book of Acts. You're going to see that as they obey what God wants them to do, they're going to do it geographically, right? Come to me in Jerusalem, but after that, God's going to do something, and you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and where? Everybody say to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, go ahead and go one more. I don't even remember what slides I are. Yeah, that's not going to come in handy today. Go on back to, just go on back there, okay? So, Acts chapter 1. I'll just read the first two verses because that's all we got, and then we're going to jump into verse 3. The former treaty have I made unto the oath, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So we covered that. And so now we're here and we're focusing on the power from on high, which was the point. He promised them to go and wait, and they were going to have power from God to do what they were called to do. There is a picture of this in the Old Testament. Oftentimes the Bible will give us a pattern that you see in the Old Testament to help us understand what we're going through now in the New Testament. If you remember the children of Israel were given the land of Canaan, right? Get put Israel back up there just for a second. They were promised, and it was called the promised land. Everybody say the promised land. Right? You've heard that. Why, why was that their land? Because everybody say God promised it to them, right? So when they came over, they were out here in the wilderness, right? This is where they were. And when they crossed over right here at Jericho, this land here, as far as the eye could see, all the way to the Mediterranean, all this was Israel, all of this was theirs. This was their promise. Now, what God wanted them to do was come over into Jericho. You're going to defeat these incredible people there, right? Now, God, of course, miraculously does it. The walls of Jericho fall flat. But the story of the children of Israel was the conquest of 12 tribes, everybody say 12 tribes, over this area. So are you starting to see how many apostles were there? 12. And they were given a promise, a promised land. Now what is the promised land for Christians? Everybody say the whole world. So this was right here was the picture and we're living in the promise. God gave a small group of people a small piece of land in the world. Go back to how small the very, very first map. 
He gives them this little tiny piece of land right here, and that's their job. And the 12 apostles, the followers of Christ, were going to not be the 12 tribes of Israel, but they were going to represent the kingdom of God, the pillars of the kingdom of God. The Bible says that the the, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So don't worry. I know I'd rather preach, I guess, than teach. I'm not really great with slides and the whole thing. But this picture, you're not going, you will miss this if I don't explain it to you. God took a microcosm and he made it in Israel and he made the bigger picture and he's making it with us. And of course, Christ is Joshua. In fact, Joshua is Jesus. Do you guys know that? Joshua in the Old Testament is just Jesus. That's the name. And in the New Testament. And so what's, this is a picture. He leads them into the promised land, right? Anyway, it's all a great picture, right? This is what's going on in the book of Acts. It's what's going on in our lives today. Stephen, this is when you should, you should be doing the teaching part before church. And then after that, then I get to preach. So that's because you could probably keep it a little bit more orderly than I do. But verse 3, so they told him, to whom also he, who are they talking about here? Jesus. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Of course, that's what Jesus did. Remember, Jesus said, here, reach your hand to my side. Put your hands in the fingers, uh, and put your fingers in the nail prints in my hand. He began to show them that he was alive. I mean, not being dead after being crucified, that's a pretty big miracle, Right? He was seen of them 40 days, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we're not talking about the kingdom anymore, uh, just of, uh, that's, that's just right here in this one little spot. You know, the Lord has smitten my pointer to save mother. But Luke here is talking about the days after the resurrection where Jesus appeared to his friends, to his disciples, to 500, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So don't miss, everybody say kingdom of God. Jesus started preaching about the kingdom of God. He was teaching about the kingdom of God. He was always saying, and the kingdom of God is going to be like this. And people miss this and they think he's talking about going to heaven. Because he's not. He's talking about world conquest by Jesus Christ, okay? God's will will be done, everybody say, on earth as it is in heaven, right? Isn't that what he prayed? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for our sins and deliver the dead from the bondage of the grave, but this was just the beginning of the great work birth from the resurrection that would culminate in the conquest of the entire world. Joshua led Israel in the conquest of the promised land, but Jesus would lead a host, a battle party to conquer every square inch of the earth, a new promised land. But in order for them, in order for us to possess it, God's people needed more than manpower. You guys have heard of horsepower? They needed more than manpower here. They needed the power of God from on high. In the, you know, they needed the same thing, the children of Israel, when he had a, the reason he had to march around the walls of Jericho was to explain to them, your conquest of Israel isn't going to be about your weapons. 
It's not going to be about your battle strategy. It's not going to be about your great military leaders. It's going to be about me. So all I want you to do is shut up. And he doesn't even let them talk. You guys know this? They walked around the wall silently. Not a lot of talk. Seven days they walked around the wall. Enemies are yelling obscenities, making fun of them, throwing stuff over the wall, no doubt, right? And what are they doing? They're shutting their mouths. They're doing nothing. They're not building big things to put against the side of the building. They're not, you know, building siege towers and battering rams and, and lighting fires and, and making Greek fire and getting ready to take down Jericho. What are they doing? They're just walking around quietly doing nothing. Why? What's God saying? God is teaching them what I'm going to do through you is not something you can do. Right? Samson, what I'm going to do through you is not something you can do. The Spirit of the Lord had to come upon Samson to take a lion in his hands and to destroy it, to take the gates and lift them up, to catch 300 foxes. This is not the work that a man can do. They could not do it, and we cannot do what God has called us to do in our own strength. We need power from on high, the same power that enabled Samson with superhuman strength. It would fuel us for a greater work than carrying the gates of Gaza or killing hordes of Philistines or catching countless foxes. We needed the fire that Manoah and his wife sat marveling at on the day of their promise from God. They had been promised a son on that day. The fire, the angel, the Lord, the Christ himself ascended in the flames. The flames that caught Elijah up in his chariot, they were now about to come down to Jerusalem with the Christ himself in the flames. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, this is talking again about Jesus. He's, uh, Luke is still setting the scene for what is about to happen. He said, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. He uses the word commanded. So do you think it was optional? You know what? We don't really need to wait around. Let's just go ahead and go into all the world. He already told us to do that. No, he said he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. This is, actually, this is my uh, uh, proof text for Stone number one, go do this. Stone number two, don't do this until you do this, right? So he commanded them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say, wait for the promise of the Father. Can you see how God uses these words, right? They were promised a child and he came. Israel was given the promised land. You're going to find out here later in Acts chapter 2. They're going to say, you know what this is? This is the promise of the Father. You're going to see this pictured, this beautiful literature that God is giving. And what is that? This is that. Remember you were reading last week, Stephen, you were getting choked up. What do they say? Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost and they say, what is this? And he says, this is that. What? God's promise. I promise you one day your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old middle dream dreams. They'll be like a mighty army. They'll be running on the walls. They'll be destroying their enemies. And they'll be doing it in the power of God. It's an exciting passage of scripture. We see Jesus here in verse 4. And what he had done before he departed from them after delivering them. And giving them their great commission. Their marching orders and letting them know he had something special for them. Not just something, everybody say, but someone. He didn't just have something. He wasn't just going to give them a weapon. 
but he was going to give them someone. Now, this I'm sure was a little bit confusing for them. But he had talked about this one. I want to read for you and camp out for just a little while here before we move on any further in the book of Acts to what he's talking about. John chapter 14 lays this out. I could get very riled up just reading it. I could get very worked up like Stephen got worked up because Jesus is getting ready. He's like, uh, I'm about to introduce you to someone. John chapter 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be cowardly. Believe confidently in God and trust in him. Have faith. Hold on to it. Rely on it. Keep going and believe in me. I'm reading from the Amplified, by the way. In my father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would not have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back again. And I will take you there myself so that where I am there, you may be. And to the place where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, right? I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the father, but by me. If you'd known me, you'd know my father. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip says, show us the father. And he says, have I been so long time with you that you don't know who I am? If you've seen me, right, you have seen the father. And he's preparing them because he's about to show them something they didn't know there was to see. God is revealing more of himself here in John chapter 14. And he's promising them they are going to know him even better soon and they're going to know this someone better show us the father don't you believe that i'm in the father and the father's of me the words that i say unto you they're not my own i don't speak them under my own initiative or even my own authority but the father uh, abiding continually in me does his work his attesting miracles and acts of power believe me that i am in the father and the father is in me otherwise believe me because of the very works themselves which you've seen now, he's talking about this, but he's, he's getting ready to tell them about something here. And he refers what he's referring to in the book of Acts. I assure you, verse 12, most solemnly, anyone who believes in me, the things that I do, he will do even greater things. Everybody say, even greater. We have to read it because we can't even believe it's even possible that we could do something greater than Jesus. But he says it, even greater things. Because I'm going to my Father and I will do and I will do whatever you ask in my name. This I will do so that the Father may be glorified and celebrated in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you really love me, you'll keep my commandments. They're thinking they're done, and all of a sudden he introduces them to this thing, to this person, to this something that they don't really know anything about. He said, hey, I'm leaving, verse 18. He said, but I'm not going to leave you without a comforter. I will not leave you orphans, comfortless, bereaved, and helpless. I will come back to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live too. 
And when that day comes, you will know for yourselves that I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. And the person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me, and who really loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him, and I will make myself real to him. And Judas, of course, asks him, this is back in John, what's happened? Where are you going? How are you going to reveal yourself? And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. He will come to me and we will make our dwelling place with him. One who does really not love me does not keep my words and the word that I'm teaching you is not mine. Now, he then takes them a place they've never been. If you remember, Jesus was always preparing them. I'm about to die. And they would say, no, you're not. I'm going to die and I'm going to go away. No, you're not. You can't go anywhere. You can't die. Oh, yeah, I am going to die. But they didn't believe it and they didn't want to hear it. Well, he is telling them here about something else. I'm going to leave and I'm going to give you some. We don't want anybody else. We want you. And he goes, no, I'm leaving. I have to leave. Verse 25. I've told you these things. I am still with you, but the helper... The comforter, okay, also known as the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the, the standby, the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. Whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf. Once again, I'm reading from the Amplified. He will teach you all things. Now, wait a minute. Here Jesus is. He's leaving. He's telling you he's coming back. But, hey, I'm going to leave you with this. Now, there's also precedent for this in the scripture as well. Do you remember when God was leading them through the promised land, he gave them an angel. Do you guys remember this? And they said, now this angel, he's going to be with you all the time. He's going to, here they were in the wilderness and God gave them a cloud that covered the sun, right? So that they didn't get sunburnt. And he, and he gave them a fire that blazed at night so they didn't get cold. But there was something that God sent to be with them, right? There was this great, mighty power and if any army messed with them they had to mess with him and how do you think they fared they didn't fare very good the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name to represent me and to act on my behalf he will teach you all things he will help you remember everything i have told you here we have a role of this power he's going to remind us of what remind us of god's word Peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you, not as the world gives you do I. Neither let your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and every challenge. And he's letting them know that the comfort that he's sending them, he calls him the comforter himself, is the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're in battle, you need some comforts. You'd like to know that you're going to win. <laughs> You'd like to know that you're going to live through it. You'd like to know, you, you know, whatever. And so this battle that we are engaged in, Jesus has sent us, or he said he's going to send us here in Acts chapter 5. And he reminds them, right? What was John, what did he say about John the Baptist? Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but, everybody say, but, you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So they had heard this. They had heard about the crucifixion and the resurrection before they happened in the same way. He had been preparing them for this new glorious dimension of revelation of himself in the fullness of 
the Trinity. At this point, they could not have understood what he was talking about, what he was about to do in their lives, what he was about to reveal to them concerning the essence of the unity and community of the Godhead in perfect love that need nothing more than his majestic eternal greatness. He was about to introduce them more fully than he had ever expressed himself. In the Old Testament, he was the lawgiver. He was the God. He was their father. When he became the son, we were introduced to Jesus Christ, the son of God before the foundation of the world, the eternal son of God who loved, right? And now we're being introduced in part three of the continuing saga of earth into a relationship deeper with God by seeing another dimension of God, not another God. Don't fall into the nonsense that there's like three gods and they're like us and, and they just, they're like a council and they get together. But the, no, no, that's not, that's not what's going on here. The Holy Trinity or the picture of the Godhead is that God exists. His oneness is his Trinity. Okay, we won't get into a gigantic theological discourse on this, but God was revealing himself piece by piece, part by part, none to be separated. You know, it's not like, you know, uh, you know, well, okay, that's too big of a subject for this, for where we're going right here. But that's what he's telling them. The Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to give you the power. It's going to teach you. It's going to lead you. It's going to remind you. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. How many of you have found yourself in a place where you might do wrong and all of a sudden the word of God comes to you? Anybody? Anybody ever happened to you? Let me tell you what this, that's the Holy Spirit, Brother Jason. He's doing his job. He's reminding you. I've needed reminded many times what God's word says. Verse six, when therefore they were come together, they asked of him, they asked of Jesus saying, Lord, and, and the... Once again, Luke here in the book of Acts is still giving them backstory. He's telling them things that is, they're not recorded in the book of Luke. They're not recorded in Matthew and they're not recorded in Mark or John. Luke is giving us more in the gospel story, backstory that wasn't included, but he knows about it and he learned about it through his time. He spent years with the apostle Paul in prison. He spent years with the apostle Paul ministering and going around and working in Paul is teaching him. Paul wasn't even there, okay? He's learning it also, but, but Paul learned these things by revelation. When therefore they were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will thou again restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Everybody say power. What did Jesus say after he was resurrected all what all power in heaven and earth is given to me so this thing about power this thing about authority this is not just about a physical thing of uh, a feat of strength but it is a powerful thing in that respect as well so they were thinking that the big thing that was going to happen is that god was just going to overthrow the roman government or Herod the Tetrarch would get replaced and Jesus would be the king. That's what they thought was going to happen. And they're like, when are you going to do that? They thought he was going to do that for them. Did he do it for them in the promised land? Everybody say, no, he did not. Jericho was great. 
But was the next city like that? Did they just march around the walls? No, they did not. In fact, they lost that battle, right? They lost the battle to a little tiny town of Nothingville, right? And they realized they were in sin, and that's a whole big story. But what did they do? They had to go town by town, area by area, battle by battle, and do what? Take every inch of the promised land for God. That was the work they had to do. Now, there were times that God would supernaturally show up and help them, but most of the time, it was just hard work. And it was fighting, and it was risk, and there was death, but there was victory. Amen? Why? What's he doing? That's what's about to happen to us. They're thinking God's going to snap his fingers, and all of a sudden, boom, he's going to be the king, and it's all going to be over. They're like, no, it's not really going to work out like that. Verse 8, but you shall receive power. It's like, wait a minute. We thought you were going to come, and you were going to do it, and you were going to do it in your power. And he says, no, here's what's going to happen. You're about to get power. I did great things while he was on the earth, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to give you the power and you are going to do it. Just like the Israelites took all of Canaan land, you are going to take the whole wide world. That is what Jesus is teaching here. Verse 8, you shall receive power. Everybody say power. What do they need power for? Come on, God, why don't you just show up and kick the walls down. Why don't you just, no, that's not what he does. God is allowing us, he's letting us, he's giving us the honor and the privilege of participating in what he does. That's what we're, that's what our life should be all about. That's what our life as Christians is all about. We might think, no, it's about, you know, working on vineyards and and, uh, and living in nice houses. Oops, wait a minute, that's what Israel did. They got in the nice house they didn't build. They had the vineyard they didn't plant and they got so busy living in the world thinking they were citizens of it and that, that's what their kingdom was all about. They forgot about the kingdom of God. You know what? The happy family, the beautiful life should be a byproduct. It is not our goal. I love the Hatfields. I think they're great. I love the Robinettes. I think they're great. I can go down. I love all of you. All your families are really nice. But the kingdom of God is not about a, a, a self-help for you. It is about the conquest of the world for Jesus Christ. It's about everything the Bible is about. Jesus riding in on the horse uh, with his, you know, flaming eyes and the sword, uh, the, the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and, and, and blood flowing to the bridle. What of that imagery? That imagery is about conquest. Yes, he's leading, but what are we? We are in the host. We are the host. He's the Lord of hosts and we're the host. You shall receive power for what? When, when, when? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. Judea. Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the earth. You might think it's a simple list. But this was actually how he wanted it done. You're going to go from this place to this place to this place. There is an order to it. I have a battle plan and this is how it's going to work. And you're going to find out as we go through the book of Acts that they didn't like the battle plan, Anna. 
They, the church of Jerusalem grew and yes, they had persecution, but there were a lot of them and they really liked each other. And, and yeah, they squabbled a little bit, but mean, it was great to be, you know what? We're a part of something great and they're going from house to house and they're enjoying special time together and they're making friends and they're establishing rules and they're having a good time and they're hanging out and they forgot that he said, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth because you know what happens next month? in God is looking down at his people and he said well I told them to go after they got Jerusalem to go to Judea but they're not going to Judea and I told them to go to Samaria but they're not going to Samaria so he goes well I guess we got to help them out and so a great persecution arises on the church and they're scattered everywhere and they're being killed and they're being chased around well they're it's kind of like the story of Samson God had a plan to destroy the Philistines. So what does he do? He has to, Samson's so corrupt that all he's about is, you know, a cute babe. He doesn't even want to marry, a, a, you know, a, a wonderful Israelite girl. No, he, you know what? Yeah, I could marry one of these Israelite girls, but you know what? There's this hot Philistine and I really like her. Dad, go get her for me. And it says, this was of the Lord. Why? Why was it of the Lord? Because he needed to rile up these Philistines and he needed to rile up Samson. Actually, Samson is the one who gets riled up. Samson goes from being riled up over the cute Philistine girl that he gets riled up against the Philistines himself. So in the same way, you're going to see the books of Acts, the book of Acts unfold. Here they are. They're enjoying all this fun in Jerusalem. And God is saying, you're not doing what I called you to do. To go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. You're just hanging out in Jerusalem. I'm going to help you out. You're running around enjoying how strong you are, how big your muscles are, how you can rip a, a, you know, a lion apart like it's nobody. You're swaggering around and you're, man, look how strong I am. People are probably, man, your hair is big and it's beautiful and you're so strong you killed a lion and every woman wants you, oh, Samson. And God's like, oh, I'm going to help him out with this. The story of Samson is he gets, that woman doesn't even end up being his wife. They give her to another guy, even though... Uh, he, you know, is victorious over all these guys. What happens? They give his wife away. This is really rough on, on Samson. And you know what it does? It motiv <coughs> It motivates. <coughs> Excuse me. It motivates Samson to do what he's called to do. Can you hear me? You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. I'll take you back to the promise of Samson's parents. They were given, your son is going to be a deliverer of Israel. He will smite the Philistines. He will uh, kill a whole bunch of these Philistines and he will be a mighty judge. Everybody say that was the promise. You know what God promised to us? He's going to conquer the world. He is going to trod underneath his foot the wine press of God, the wrath of God, and, and the evil will, every, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. All right? That's the promise. Ask of me and I will give you the heathen for thine inheritance. That's the promise. 
So he offers the promise and he then gives them a way to have it. And you're going to see the book of Acts is about people. They're just as human as you and I, but they are given the power of God. And you will see through, as we go through the book of Acts, how the, what goes on here, Joy, is not a work of a strong man. It's not his work of clever people. These people are as stubborn as Samson. They don't want to go. They don't want, and so God goes, oh, I can get them to go. I'll have a bunch of them, you know, rounded up and put in prison and mistreated and chased around. And when they're running away from their enemies, they'll look around and go, well, golly, I'm in Samaria. That's what happens. You read about it. It's exactly what happens. And it, it, I don't want to like go through the whole book of Acts right now, but you will see that that's what happens. God promises that they will, and guess what? They do. In spite of Samson uh, dishonoring his parents and running after the wrong kind of girls, God uses him to destroy the Philistines. Why? Because he promised that he would. And, in, in, and regardless of the fact that the church is messed up today, and we've got problems, and every time God blesses us, we like to revel and hang out in all the fun and blessings rather than do what we're told to do, God will help us out. He'll send us uh, governments that want to run our lives and ruin us, and he'll take away our freedom, and he'll do what we, He will do whatever it takes to get us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what he's going to do. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. That's who we are. That's what we are. We get comfortable in the blessings of God, but we're no different than Israel in that. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do. And he, he says, you know, he gives them the feast of Passover. They said, what do you want to do this for? He said, because when you go into the land and they're living in houses they didn't build and when they got vineyards that they didn't plant and they're blessed beyond measure and they're living in the land of the free and the home of the brave and they got all of everything good and they got piled up blessings, they will forget me. You go, well, we can't forget God. <laughs> that's, our, that's the human condition. That's the problem of the church. We end up loving the church and so much that we don't love God. We end up loving the blessings that God gives us in our beautiful family and our beautiful relationships. And we forget that we, those should be in the context of our conquests. Does that make sense? We, a church that sits around and falls in love with itself instead of being in love as we are running to the battle is not the, this totally different thing. I love being with you. Your goal in land, I'm not against Frisbee. I, was, I love it. I go out to play Frisbee. But I'm telling you, playing Frisbee is not what God called us to do. Play Frisbee, okay? But do you understand what I'm saying? God calls us to reach the lost. He called us to be actively going after, to disciple the nations, to teach people. How many people are you teaching about what God has told you? He says, you should be teaching them everything I taught you. How many of you are doing that with your life? That is the calling. And the power of the Holy Spirit isn't so you can have children that don't go off the deep end, you know, and get their face tattooed and join MS-13. That is not what God has called us to do. Now, Praise God if we teach our children and we love them and we don't do all these things, maybe they won't go off the rails and go completely insane. And then our lives won't be filled with all the drama of their sin. That'll be nice. But it's not going to be any better if we just have a great, wonderful, beautiful wife and we don't do what God has called us to do. That's not beautiful. 
our righteousness as filthy rags before God and the very best we have to offer, the nicest, squeaky clean living kids that we have, that is not going to change the world. We need warriors who are willing to get muddy and dirty and covered in blood, who are willing to, to lay down their lives, who are willing to say, you know what, this world is not my own. I'm not building a kingdom here for myself. I'm building the kingdom of God. And at the forefront of the foundation stones laid for the kingdom of God is go into all the world and preach the gospel. But don't you dare go until you go to Jerusalem and get the power you need to do it. Amen? That's what power from on high is all about. That's where we are in eight verses of the book of Acts, and we got 20, well, not quite 29 chapters to go, 28 chapters to go. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us the story of the early church, not just so we can learn it and know it, but so that we can follow it, Lord. It is the church that we are in. This is our church. Our denomination is the kingdom of God. Our foundation stone is not the stones that some man laid of some organization he built. It is of a, a foundation that you've laid and a church that you are building because the church that you build, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We have seen denominations split and fall and die, apostatize, become so liberal and unrecognizable. We've seen men go astray, but Lord, you have not. Lord, lead us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, use us, fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the power to do what you've called us to do. Make us a mighty army in the earth, Lord, that we indeed might conquer it for your name's sake. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.